This story that Luke gives you here right at the beginning of his gospel is nothing less than a premonition. It's a premonition. How are people in the world going to react to Jesus? Luke says they're going to look like this. Don't you see it? Jesus is the world's lightning rod. You will love him or you will hate him, but what you will not be able to do with him is ignore him. And so he left that day and he kept preaching. And because he kept preaching, the world started to hate him. They hated him and they were offended by him. And so another day in another city in Jerusalem, a hostile crowd surrounded him. See, Jesus, don't miss it. He leaves this day and this angry crowd behind, not to escape the wrath of humanity, but instead to get a greater wrath. See, he went to Jerusalem not to suffer humanity's wrath, but to suffer God's wrath for humanity's wrath. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. I love that song, thinking about all of us are gathered here in this space, those of you who are aligned, just to hear Jesus' words, a miracle that people want to do that. So we're going to hear from Jesus. Please stand out of respect for his words and his works. This is his teaching. It is not mine. It's his. This is the account from Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up 
drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Must have been quite the moment. Jesus at his home church. It had been his custom, Luke says. He was an every weaker. He never missed church. And now it was his turn. He had heard so many sermons over the years in that church. Now it was his turn to finally stand up and give the sermon. Everybody was there. Little Joey, that kid that he used to play marbles with outside. His mom's best friend, that woman who used to change his diapers when he was a kid. Even that guy, that neighbor who he had returned the cow to back in the pasture that one day. Everybody was there. The church was packed. They wanted to see what the hometown Jesus could do. Now 30 years old, all grown up. The word was that he was quite the prophet, that he was even doing miracles. Now he was home and everybody was there to hear it. He gets up. They hand him the Isaiah scroll. He takes the word of God. He handles it reverently, devotionally. He enrolls it in front of the people. He finds the spot. He knows the verse he wants to read. He takes his index finger and he points. And he reads. He reads confidently. He reads boldly. It's the one where Isaiah is preaching about the anointed one, the Messiah. The one where Isaiah says that that this Messiah is going to come and he is going to act, enact God's salvation program, that he's going to come and he's going to bring good news to the poor, that he's going to release the oppressed, that he's going to spring open the jail cells. That the blind are going to see that it was the moment when the year of the Lord's favor was going to start. He's done reading. He rolls up the scroll. He hands it back to the attendant. He sits down in the posture of an authoritative teacher. The moment lasts. It stretches. What would he say? The people wondered. Finally, the sermon begins. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he preaches. And as he preaches, they can see it. Their jail cells springing open. Their eyes opened. Their sins forgiven. Too soon, the sermon is over. And when it's over, the church, it buzzes. 
They're awestruck. Such gracious words. <laughs> they said to each other. Suddenly somebody asks a question. The question takes off like wildfire. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. I should tell you that there are some people who think that that was really quite the dark question. Some people think that when Jesus asked that question, when they asked that question about Jesus, that what they were doing is they were being offended. You know, how can he say these things? How can he make these claims that he's really the Messiah, that he's the enactment of God's salvation program? How can he say that? Some people think that that's what those people were doing. I've heard other dark, dark takes on the first part of this story as well. I've heard whole sermons where, where pastors will come out and they'll say, you know what these people were offended about? You know why they almost tossed them off a cliff was because of what Jesus was insinuating. He was insinuating that they were the blind, that they were the poor, that they were the captive, that they were the prisoner, and they were offended by this comment. Except that's not what Luke says. We have to read Luke carefully. Luke doesn't say that they were offended. Luke says that they were awestruck. Luke doesn't say that they were speaking badly of him. Luke says they all spoke well of him. He got rave reviews. So what's going on with the question? What were they saying? If it wasn't offense, they, they were saying, this is, this, is, this is Joseph's son. He's not allowed to say that. What were they saying? What do they mean? I'll tell you. They were trying to control him. See, you can tell. You can tell by Jesus' response. Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. You're, you're wanting to quote the proverb to me. Physician, heal thyself. You want me to do miracles here like I did in Capernaum. They were trying to control him. See, they had heard that he was a great preacher. They had heard that he was a miracle worker. Now they had heard the great preaching. And now it was time for Jesus to perform like a circus monkey and do miracles on demand. After all, he was their boy. Joseph's kid. They belonged to him. Isn't that a temptation? He's our boy. He's our Jesus. He's in our corner. There's a book that a religious historian, a guy by the name of Stephen Prothero writes, he writes a book called American Jesus. In this book, he talks about how everybody wants Jesus in their corner, and what they do is they shape Jesus into whatever Jesus they want him to be. Isn't he ours, people think. So the Muslims have their Jesus, and the Baha'is have their Jesus. 
and the Buddhists and the transcendentalists and the, <laughs> and the Gnostics, they all have their Jesus. And then there's other kinds of Jesuses too. There's bobblehead Jesus and there's highway billboard Jesus and, and there's feminized Jesus and there's warrior Jesus and there's Jesus on this flag and Jesus for that platform. And like Stephen Prothero says, there's American Jesus. Isn't he ours? Can't we do with him what we want? I think that that's why everybody loves Jesus, actually. I'm fascinated by these things as a pastor. Have you looked at the polls? Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. You know who they don't like? His church. I find it fascinating. Look at the polls. Why is that? Why does everybody like Jesus, but they don't really like his church? Well, part of it's probably because the church needs to repent, and we haven't represented Jesus well. You know what the other thing is? It's not that we haven't represented him well. It's that we have. And people actually don't like Jesus. Not the real Jesus. What they like is the hometown Jesus, the Jesus who affirms all of their desires and all of their behaviors and all of their beliefs. There's a warning here for all of us. Make sure the Jesus that you like, make sure the Jesus that you are enthusiastic about is actually the real Jesus. Now, I should tell you that these people in Nazareth, they were not violent people. They were almost certainly salt of the earth, family loving, as far as the world can tell, good people. They'd probably never done anything like this before, and they probably never did anything like it again. They were salt-of-the-earth people. So why did they do it? Jesus had touched something in them that was unstable, something deeply evil, something that lives in all of us. I remember when I went to Nazareth, I had the chance to go once. It was a great trip. I remember going to Nazareth, the tour guide, he takes you there and he says, this is it. <laughs> I mean, it was a tiny town, tiny, tiny town. Hardly anybody lived there. I remember the tour guide, we're standing there, he says, we almost for sure know almost exactly where Mary and Joseph's house was because the town was that small. I mean, the well over there, the ancient well where they would have drawn water is right there. I remember it. And I remember the sense I had when I was there. I remember wishing that I could just enjoy the thought of Jesus running around in his diapers in his mom and daddy's house. 
I remember wishing that I could imagine him walking over that well right there. I mean, he lived and he breathed right there. But I couldn't. I had this story in my head about Nazareth. So what I did when I was there is I walked towards the cliff. I got closer and closer to the edge of the cliff, and I remember looking down. It's not one of those cliffs that goes like straight down, like 180 degrees, that kind of thing. It was a, a cliff that has an angle just enough so you can see all the way down. So if you push somebody over it, you'd actually watch their body sickeningly thud and hit rocks for hundreds and hundreds of feet. You'd actually watch the body break apart as it falls. Jesus, suddenly he gets up and he unleashes a second sermon on these people. He announces his theme He says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he starts telling them the stories, the ones that he heard growing up in his church. He said, you guys remember the one. Remember the one about Elijah? God didn't send Elijah to any of the widows in Israel. Why not? They wouldn't receive the word, the prophet's word. You guys remember the one about Elisha? God didn't save any of the lepers in Israel, even though there were plenty, because they wouldn't receive the prophet's word. The insinuation was obvious. They were those people. The same ones. The same ones who refused to receive their Lord when he was standing right there in front of them. They got so angry, so full of wrath. They did what humans do. Humans have this unique ability that when they are filled with wrath, that they can act like a human tidal wave. One thing leads to another. There's pushing, there's shoving, there's grabbing Jesus by the arm, there's pushing him in the back. Suddenly they're outside the church. Suddenly they're in the church parking lot. And before anybody's talking about it, before anything had been decided, it had all been decided, they all knew what they were going to do. They were not going to stand by and let some hometown kid Tell them who they were. And they stand there on the edge of the cliff. Now before I go any further, I want to stop. And I want to think about this with you. And at least say this much about the Nazarenes. At least they cared. You know, we're in this sermon series, we're uncovering Jesus today. We're doing more than that. We're uncovering our reactions to Jesus, our natural reactions to Jesus. And we saw in the first part of the sermon that 
that naturally when we receive Jesus as Savior, we want to put him in our corner. We just want to use him, not just receive him. And here, before I talk about this negative reaction to Jesus, I at least want to go this far with the Nazarenes. At least they cared. I mean, they cared passionately. Think about it. They hear Jesus' first sermon, and the text says that their eyes were fastened on him. I mean, they reacted passionately to Jesus. They hear the second sermon, and they react passionately to Jesus. They are listening to Jesus. At least they cared. Every week it happens here at Peace, I'm sure of it. That there are people without health conditions who sleep right through the sermons. At least they cared. At least they listened. I mean, we got to go that far. I mean, we got to go that far. Jesus is who he says he is, he is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the one anointed to bring the forgiveness of sins to the entire world, to reverse all of the consequences for sin, for all of his redeemed, for all of, his, all of eternity. He is that. Or, he is the man who has perpetrated the greatest lie and the greatest fraud in all of human history. He's one or the other, so you should love him or you should hate him. But there is one thing that you must never do with Jesus, and it's this. Ignore him. You can't do that. Elie Wiesel, the writer, put it like this. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. At least the Nazarenes cared. And because they cared, they listened. That's why they reacted as they did, because they took Christ's claims seriously. I thought for a long time about this story. I was trying to figure it out. How do you go as a person from basically holding a ticker tape parade for the guy to wanting to mob him and lynch him like they did? How do you do that in like two seconds flat? I'll tell you. Have you ever thought about what sin is? What is sin at its essence? Sin is personal lordship. Do you want to know how to make somebody angry with a deep and fundamental anger quicker than possibly make them angry using any other means? I'll tell you. Tell them this. You aren't your own Lord. 
You don't get to live your life however you want. Christ is. I went to a dinner party a couple months ago. I met a really nice lady. I really enjoyed talking to her, actually. She found out I was a pastor. She told me that she really liked Jesus, and I believed her. (laughs) I think she really did like the Savior, Jesus. But it was interesting. Something was touched in her, something deeply evil. Because all of a sudden, during the dinner, and it just kind of came out of nowhere as far as I could tell, she started announcing to the entire table all of the things that neither Jesus nor his church should ever weigh in on. She said, you know what the churches should do? They should just talk about the love of Jesus. But they should never talk about this or this or this or this. You see what she was saying? She's saying, Jesus, give me your grace. But never, ever, ever tell me what to do with my life. Jesus, forgive my sins, but never tell me what to do with my money. Jesus, love me, but never tell me what I should do with my body. Jesus, go ahead and save me, but never, ever, ever, Jesus, be my Lord. So they jostled him. They pushed him. This human tidal wave all the way to the edge of the cliff. I don't know how else to describe it. After that, Jesus pulls a Houdini. (laughs) They wanted a miracle. They got a miracle. (laughs) He walked right through those pitchforks, right through their heads that were shooting off flames. And he walked right off into the sunset. I mean, the moment, if you think about it, the moment is just ripe for imagination, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, how did he do it? Like, did the people go into some kind of paralysis so they wanted to push him off? All of a sudden, they can't move. All of a sudden, they're forced to just watch him walk right through the midst of this angry, hostile crowd. I mean, what was this? Were they locked in place until finally Jesus gets to the horizon? Then finally, they can move again? I mean, what happened? How did this work? I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. The reason why Jesus walked away from death in Nazareth wasn't to avoid death. The reason why he walked away from death in Nazareth was so that he could die another day. Don't you see it? This story that Luke gives you here right at the beginning of his gospel is nothing less than a premonition. It's a premonition. How are people in the world going to react to Jesus? 
Luke says they're going to look like this. Don't you see it? Jesus is the world's lightning rod. You will love him or you will hate him, but what you will not be able to do with him is ignore him. And so he left that day and he kept preaching. And because he kept preaching, the world started to hate him. They hated him and they were offended by him. And so another day in another city in Jerusalem, a hostile crowd surrounded him. See, Jesus, don't miss it. He leaves this day and this angry crowd behind, not to escape the wrath of humanity, but instead to get a greater wrath. See, he went to Jerusalem not to suffer humanity's wrath, but to suffer God's wrath for humanity's wrath. He was going to Jerusalem. Don't you see it? It's a premonition. He is the one who he said he is. He's the Messiah. He's come to bring good news to us poor people. To forgive our sins. He's come to release us from our captivity of personal lordship and to put us under his lordship. He's come to open our eyes to who he is. He's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the forgiveness of sins that comes in his name. And then after he was crucified by that angry mob, do you realize what he did? Is he pulled the ultimate Houdini. And he walked out of the grave alive. I want to close today with three applications for you from this story. And here's the first one. Expect that your natural self will always respond wrongly to Jesus. Expect that you're going to be no different from the Nazarenes. You're going to try to take Jesus the Savior and going to lose him for your platform, for your work, for whatever you think needs to be done. You're going to be just like the Nazarenes. When Jesus offends you, you're going to be like, I'm done with you. I'm tossing you out of my life. You should, you should expect that your natural self is going to respond wrongly to Jesus, which brings me to my second point, and it's this. Don't trust the way you feel about Jesus. Just trust Jesus. Follow him anyway. Hold on to him anyway. <laughs> In fact, isn't that why you come to church? Isn't it true at some level that you come to church just to be offended? <laughs> Just to be offended in the ways in which you need to be offended, corrected by Jesus. When he offends you, hold on to him anyway. He's telling you something that's true. Now I'm preaching like Peter. Everybody was leaving Jesus. They were rejecting Jesus. They were offended by Jesus. They were done with Jesus. And Peter's, Jesus asked Peter and his disciples, are you going to leave me too? What did Peter say? Lord, where are we going to go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. 
Third lesson. I had the chance early last week to be on a podcast with some really fine theologians and pastors and on this story. And I want to tell you what a, a man by the name of Dr. Alan Sorum said about this story. He said this, it's true, he said, that naturally we are all hostile to Jesus. But it's insane that we are. He said, look at what Jesus does in the rest of Luke. He leaves Nazareth. He drives out the demons. He feeds hungry people. He raises the dead. We may be naturally hostile to Jesus, but it's absolute insanity that we are. See, we may find out, and we have, that we want to take Jesus and we want to use him for our own ends. We may find out that Jesus is our Lord, and we don't really like that, but we find out he's the Lord, and there is no other. He has risen from the dead. And so there is only one thing to do with Jesus, just one. You know what it is? Repent. Believe him. Follow him and never let go. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving people in Nazareth. We praise you that you stepped up in front of your home church and, and you loved those people and you brought to them the truth of the gospel. And that you love them enough to tell them the truth and call them to repentance and to faith in you. We pray today that through this story and these lessons and this truth that you do the same in our lives. That you call us to yourself. And that when we're tempted to be offended and to walk away, to, to throw you off a cliff, so to speak. That instead, we'd be like Peter. Peter. And we'd say, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. <laughs>